0: Welcome to Chasing Possible, a podcast where I sit down with ReliQuest founder and CEO, Brian Murphy. And as we go through the story of ReliQuest history, each episode is designed to give you a look into the mindset we've relied on to make security possible. Now let's go get it. In this episode, Murph talks about how the mindset of ReliQuest really began to take shape, what it takes to be great at cold calling, and narrowing the focus of ReliQuest by answering the question, what problem? are we solving for? It? All right, Murph. So we're coming out of 2012 here in chasing possible moving into 2013. And just to remind everyone kind of where we're coming out of is biggest thing from 2012 was shutting down the old lines of business that was producing roughly, you know $6 million in ARR and going all in on information assurance, uh, aka cybersecurity at, at this point. Uh, got our first customer with uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. So we talked about that. And then as we got towards the end of 2012, something you mentioned, Relicos, we're we're at the Kennedy Building, 2,600 square feet, super proud of it. Uh, We have roughly 20 to 25 people uh, that, that are employees here. But one thing you mentioned was that the culture really began to take shape at the end of 2012. And so Going into 2013, and and it might bleed into 2014. Like, talk us through first before we jump into what does that mean. Like, how many employees are are we uh, do we have in 2013, or are we still in the the Kennedy Building? Like, where are we at at this point?
1: Yeah, so still still in the Kennedy Building. That becomes a funny. Part of my uh, part of the part of the journey here, you know, office space is is never far from causing us pain uh, at, at, in our journey here. at Reliquest. sounds like a silly thing to say, but it'll make more sense. But so coming in, you know, we're, we're starting off in 2013. The thing I'll say is, you know, we shut off those other business lines. And so you collect your accounts receivable. There's no new work coming in. So you got to really get out there and sell. So to kind of set the stage, um, you had Joe Partlow. At the time, Jonathan Escheverry is joining the team as a young 19-year-old, just hungry, brilliant, um, but you know, still playing with a bunch of technology at home, but really working with Joe and and whatever Joe would be out in the field looking at. He'd, he'd throw stuff back to Jonathan, the research, and Jonathan would flip it back to him. So you're starting to kind of see this team sport, right? And you have these uh, mm. people going out and doing security work, and, and, and Elliot's learning how to sell it. And at that point now, Collins learning how to sell it. And, you know, Scott Noonan's going from recruiting for the satellite world and, and trying to get people that know network engineering and satellite engineering to figuring out how to go find people that can go on site in a commercial building and do large scale arc site enterprise. And we were doing everything right. We would do vulnerability scanning, pen testing. We just had a bunch of service offerings and Uh, We were, you know, I told you I got the billing right this time. So we're, we're marking that up, but more important than billing, um, the due date of the billing. And one thing that I work with entrepreneurs a lot now is just make sure you structure your agreements and your contract correctly. So um, Mm. a lot of people, when they're growing a business, you know, you start to think about yourself and you think, man, I can't you know, bill for that all up front, or I can't make that due in 30 days. Or when the, when the large company says we pay net 90, I can't push back on that because I need the business. And what happens if you don't push back on some of those terms, you run out of cash. So we're still bootstrapping the business. So uh, to paint the picture, I go back home, uh, tell Renee at, you know, in 2012, Hey, your brother's here. I'm shutting down these other lines. Um, I'm not going to miss a payroll in the company, but guess what? Once again, in this, you know, now five, six-year journey of ReliQuest, uh, we're not going to have any income coming in for a while. Um, And I don't know if that's going to be a year. I don't know if that's going to be two years. I don't know if it's going to be six months. And, you know, Renee's always been, uh, always shown me grace and has always believed in me, questioned my sanity. Um, But at the time, everyone questioned my sanity. I mean, sure. Uh, Chris Ellett, Colin, Scott Noonan, all the people that were around. Uh, we talked about 20% of the company left when I said, look, we're going 100% into commercial uh, cybersecurity because they just thought we were going to fail. Right. And, um, you know, we talked about in the last podcast, like, what does that feel like? Well, you can think about the people that leave, but I think you got to focus on the people that stayed. And if you were to ask Chris and Colin and others, and and, and we have joked about this now, like, man, you guys, why did you stay? You're super talented. I mean, Colin had every job offer in the world coming out of college, and and you know, Elliot and I have talked about this a lot. Yeah, I was nuts to make that call, and they thought I was crazy, but I was willing to take myself off a of payroll and and willing to to not miss theirs. And Elliot, being around in the early days of ReliQuest could tell the stories to the team of like, look, I, we've been here before in the early days, Murph didn't get paid for two, three years, but he paid me commission. You know, he paid, he paid my, I never missed a payroll. And, uh, and so I think having that camaraderie, when I say that we started to develop the the mindset of our is just be, being willing to do the things that other people weren't willing to do. Like we would say, Hey, it's time to go get it. That's where this starts to come from. Like, it's just, look, we've got to go win more work. And, um, Ellett was, maniacally good from our early days all of our team was great at cold calling all of our team myself included would just sit in the bullpen pick up the phone and go get it and what we realized was there was a huge need out there right it didn't take as it didn't take long to find somebody that needed what we could do and we had a really broad offering in in 2013 so we'd have you know, pen tests going on. We'd have to go find and hire a person real quick that could go do the pen testing. And then you got to find another job for them. And there's still statement of work, largely driven hourly work that we're doing. And and then a lot of travel because all these things were done on site. And, you know, we I talked about the three questions that I asked when evaluating anything that comes from a business perspective that I asked myself three questions. Is it good for our team? You know, is it good for ReliQuest? Yep. Is it good for the customer? Uh, is it good for the shareholder? And if I can't go three for three and can't say yes to all three, we never do it. Um, and really where that comes from is when you think about a couple of these pivots, you know, why do we leave the satellite engineering, right? Well, we lost, we, we, we left what we first started doing because of a, you know, global great recession, right? Um, sure. It probably helped me realize it was a bad business anyway. Thank goodness. Um, and then we left the satellite engineering because it just wasn't our expertise. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't good for the shareholder. You know, it, it, it wasn't good for us. It wasn't good for our people We're, you know, people are in other countries and they're all over the place or here, domestic and crazy areas of the, of the country. Um, and so as we got into 2013 and a lot of this work is coming in, we replaced all of our revenue quickly. I mean, we exceeded our revenue in less than 18 months of what we had built before. And so, It was coming fast. And what we started to see was this importance of, hey, we need to concentrate on one or two things, right? And so we started to really question like, what problem are we solving for? Like, what's the biggest, nastiest, ugliest problem? And in those days, and still to a large part today, when you talk about pen testing, Everybody in cybersecurity loves the idea of pen testing. They love the idea of like, I'm going to go break into somebody else and then I'm going to advise them on how I broke in. Well, you know, I started my career as an auditor, right? Um, And I've worked with auditors a lot over the years. And I always hated the idea of not owning the, the result, like just being the person that came in, not in the arena, like a, like a Monday morning quarterback. And telling somebody all the things they're doing wrong when they're not in the, I'm not in the fight every day. I don't have to deal with everything they have to deal with. And when we were doing pen testing, like, yeah, that sounds great, but you're just leaving the customer with a report that's useless. Like, Hey, here's, you know, here's 50 things. Here's 50 ways I got in. And most of the time the customer knew about them. Like, yeah, I know. Hmm. Let's put it in the report. And so when we talk about compliance, I just never saw any value there. I still don't. Um, And I know that's a controversial thing to say, like, if, if if you you show me uh, that you're compliant, you're probably not secure. But if you show me that you're secure, you're probably compliant, right? And so I just didn't think it was um, what the customer needed. It wasn't good for the customer to be doing some of those services, right? And that yeah. really started to shape the problem that we solve and started to focus the business. It's like, why are we doing this? Well, pen testing is cool. Yeah, but is it is it good for the customer? It's not. I still don't think it is today. Um, I, I don't, I think that service is like, again, coming in and telling people things they probably already know for the most part. Right. Um, sure. Joe Partlow has is saying that, uh, you know, pen testings like, you know, if you were to say, let me, uh, test the security of your home and you, you walk up to the front door and one of the kids left the front door open, you write a 10 page report on the front door needs to be closed and locked. Well, no kidding. So why don't we, First, go around and lock and secure all the things that we know about and then come back in and test for vulnerabilities, which is how we think about um, that con- continually testing capability of our content and, and our detection capability today through Verify. So um, so we were starting to shape some of these beliefs pretty early, right? And we were selling yeah. a lot of things, um, picking up a lot of engineering pro- projects. But what started to become apparent to me is we're wearing our people out you know our people are on planes nonstop leaving on Sunday coming back on Friday um they'd fly out they'd work all week they'd build something up deploy it you know get the engineering right uh whether it's the sim or um back then it was you know appliances like tipping point and some of those other kind of endpoint early endpoint tools um and and get them working and then they go to the next project and lo and behold Three, four weeks later, we get called to go back to a previous project because the network changed, the company grew, they switched a piece of a data center and everything fell down again. And, you know, we were watching this convergence of corporate security teams that were buying all these tools and technologies. And um, you got to remember where we were in 2013. All data was pretty much on prem. You know, data centers were becoming prevalent, but you were still taking your hardware or the hardware that you bought and putting them in a rack in a data center. That was the only, it was still your gear, your stuff, right? We weren't in this cloud appliance world, right? And so we were in the game of getting the customer visibility. And we always believed, and Joe's belief and still is today, that it's about, uh, getting access to the data that you need to be able to see, getting visibility, so being able to engineer that, parse that, and then it's all about correlation and detection. And so in 2013, that's what we started to really focus on is these projects um, that were really um, the more difficult things happening in a security environment. And we started to notice that every environment's different, right? One, one end of the building, you have a security team buying all these tools and technologies, but then they also hired like a Dell SecureWorks or SecureWorks before it was Dell, um, and an MSSP, and, and those two things are competing with each other because MSSPs will never work, um, and it'll never be effective, and you know that the, you're building this stack, and those two things are are, are not cohesive, and so we've just started to see some of the some of the same pain points. Um, and that started to shape us and it started to, you had our, uh, our sellers sitting in the same room as our engineers. So Mm -hmm. what was interesting is the engineers would hear how many times somebody had to call to get a prospect on the phone. So they'd just be sitting there and that actually manually dial the phones. Then they'd have all this auto dial stuff. And, um, and, and they'd go all day and then they get somebody on. It was like the whole room would center around like cheering on them landing that. And when they would land it, that engineer understood how much it took to sell it. So they wanted to really deliver for that customer, right? And so we just started to foster a lot of the belief that we have today that we win together, we lose together. A lot of the themes that you hear are coming out because we're just this tight group fighting in a really immature space in cybersecurity, right? What cyber looks like today and what it looked like then is totally different. So just to frame up all these dynamics that were going on in the first part of 2013, it was a, it was a crazy time, but we were having great success. It was, it was a lot of fun. I bet
0: you mentioned earlier that L was great at cold calling Colin was Great at cold calling. You got really great at cold calling. So the begs the question, What makes someone good at cold calling? Sheer force of will. First, pick up the phone. Can't cold call if you don't lift
1: the phone off the receiver. And it sounds insensitive, like we'd hire new people, and I'd walk through the bullpen, um, and if somebody wasn't on the phone, like I'd pick up their phone at their desk. Colin tells the story all the time. He was just, just graduating. I think he'd just eaten lunch, and he's sitting there, and the phone's off, and I just lift up the phone and put it on my ear, and I was like, oh, okay. And I put it down. He's like, what? I was like, oh, I was just checking. I thought I was broken because you weren't on it. <laughs> so like it was, yeah. it was a, everyone was grinding. Right. Yeah. And I think what makes you good is getting over the fear of the unknown. You never know who's going to answer. You never know what question they're going to ask you. You're never going to like, and and just going for it. Like that's where we yeah. talk about some of these themes of like, you got to start right. Some of these things yeah. that you and I've talked about on some of our other podcasts, you know, um, I don't know if I'm gonna win, but I know if I don't start, I can't win. So True. uh there was just good unity that we tracked everything, number of calls. We'd have big whiteboard up there, number of calls, number of book meetings, number of things sold, and we had goals around all of it. Um that's where the first surge came from is True. is you know, making sure we had enough activity out there and
0: um we were just fighting for each other. That's great. That's great. You mentioned that the engineer sitting next to the salesperson where, you know, they, they, you know, they realized how hard it was to land a customer. Like, those are things that you can't, um, ultimately, it's really hard to foster that if they don't see it themselves, right? And so I think, you know, from the importance of teamwork and appreciating the work that everyone's doing around you and how that taps into ultimately making you work a little bit harder and, do, and, and, you know, carry your weight and making sure that you're paying attention to all the details because you're like, wow, I know how hard that person worked to, to land that customer. So I'm going to make sure that, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep that customer. Right. And that's really hard to, um, simulate if the engineer doesn't see the work that's put into it. Right. Yep. And so, um, I'm curious, like when, you know, we're in this office space of, of 2,600 square feet and then you know, focus, uh, is starting to come into, um, I guess we're starting to get clarity on like what we're driving towards. Like what were some of the early challenges that you saw of, you know, whether it was noise or or things that distracted um, our team from ultimately, you know, making security possible at this point? Well, it's the age old premise of uh, <laughs> the engineer
1: had to go to this unknown environment where you know when you sell something, you, you give it your level best to understand the requirement and understand the project, but it, it's there's always a variable you can't anticipate. So the engineer would fly out early morning. We didn't fly in the middle of the day. We worked in the middle of the day. So you'd leave at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. You get to the, the client site. You're there as this technical expert. The salesperson scoped it. You went over the scope you have the statement of work, but regardless of what's on the statement of work, the customer's always going to ask you to either do something else or there's a variable that didn't anticipate or, Hey, actually the network team wasn't on that call. So I need you to do it this way and do it that way. And so building the, that premise of give the benefit of the doubt, like that, that salesperson and the engineer would sit on the scoping call. But when you get there, the market gets a vote, the customer gets a vote, the situation's going to change. So, empathizing the salespeople really trying to make sure they dialed it in and that we scoped it correctly on the front end. But then the engineering also understanding that nobody intentionally made this difficult and we can't anticipate everything in an environment. So that's an age old tug of war. Sales is selling stuff that we don't do. And, you know, the engineers aren't doing what the customer wants. And so building that team sport is where this really, that that's where this all started to come from. And, and you talked about how important it is to, for someone to see how difficult that cold call is or how difficult to build that appreciation, to go on site and engineer something. Um, well, as we got bigger, that's where make it possible moments came from. So how do we keep Mm -hmm. showing people all the things that go into the different areas? So the, the make it possible moments, that's, that's where that video series comes from is as we grew, I felt like, gosh, how do I go back in time and, and, and keep that appreciation and that respect? Well, you 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 create ReliQuest TV, which started as as my iPhone, um, and then a, yeah. a camcorder. I think I taped over some of the kids' birthday footage. We're gonna keep that on the down low. I can't find a certain year. Um, sure. Didn't know how to use that thing, but that that's where it all came from.
0: Ah, uh, that's that's great. Uh, I love that. So it, as we're going through 2013, driving focus, getting more clarity, what we're doing like what's ARR at this point? What, what are some customers uh, that, that maybe we're were uh, landing at this point? Gosh, so uh, we had a,
1: a, a bunch of, a collective of healthcare customers, you know, Bright House Networks, Fort became um, Charter Communications, and then on to something else that was a big customer of ours. We were doing all statement of work stuff. Um, we probably had, you know, 15, 16 customers, and we're selling like, 200k a week you know 100k a week i mean it's just starting to really roll to a point where it was such a variety of work that man if you were an engineer you're doing one thing one week and you go figure out another thing next week and you had to write up all your reports and statement of work and some of that work we didn't feel like was the best it wasn't the problem that the customer should be solving so we started to really dissect um To understand the pain, like understand the outcome the customer is trying to get to not um, not listen to how they want to fix the pain. Right. So I broke my arm. This numbing cream makes the pain go away, but it's just going to wear off and my arm's still going to be broken. So how do we set the arm to repair itself? Right. And so that's where we started to really take shape. And instead of like, tell me your problem and I'm going to go solve it. It's understand the best outcome to get you in and you know joe and i it used to be i had to drive down the fort Lauderdale to sit and um you know have a couple of drinks with him and figure this out we, it was every day uh we'd sit in the office a group of us late at night and just poke at things um and joe and i would have these kind of just crazy um you know we should probably look at doing this or what do you think of this? We we always thought the managed security service provider was broken. Cause here's the thing that was happening in the industry. This is another thing that has kind of, I learned from earlier in my career. I think I, on another podcast talked about, I really worked for um, I wouldn't even call them entrepreneurs. They're sole proprietors. They just built a, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley consulting company. And that's the guy that I didn't show up to the meeting. And that's the reason I created ReliQuest is, right. um, and so I've always kind of, they're sole proprietors. I mean, I, I, I laugh, I learned, you learn a lot by what not to do. Um, And so like those guys would help sell a deal and they'd take commission from one of their, their team members as owners. Right. So there's a reason I've never earned a commission in 16 years or like West because, you know, commissions, which you pay your team, you don't, you don't keep some of that. So, sure, you know um, but I remembered like, just what a bad business these guys had built. Right. It was all statement of work. Um, all they talked about was the fact that their former PWC, like, I'm like, I don't, I don't just build a company. No one cares what you did 10 years ago. No one cares. Like if that's the only reason you're good, we're in a world of hurt. And so I never made the company about me. Um, and, and I never made it about the founder. Right. Um, I also didn't make it single threaded. So what I noticed in the industry at the time is there were companies that like all they would do is they'd be an MSSP for ArcSight. That's it. One technology. And they were just booming in growth, right? They were doing really well, or they build one sensor and that's all they managed. But when we would do projects, we would always just joke at how different all these environments were. Like every company's different. No two hospitals, the same, no two healthcare companies, banks, they're all different. So I thought back to, man, you know, they're managing just ArcSight. This is no different than, you know, those two guys that just did one thing and all they talked about was PwC. So how's that any good? Like, I don't want to be single threaded because what I learned early in my career is the market's going to change, right? Um, Technologies come and go. And sure enough, we've seen over the years, I mean, ArcSight's gone, barely exists anymore. That's just happened so many times and we've always taken a technology independent approach to security. It's always about detection always about visibility. And it was always, we don't care what you're using to do it. How do we get you to the outcome? So it's funny how kind of your early life um, influences how you think about major decisions, right? And and sure, just seeing things done poorly have gotten me out of like, don't do bad like that. Like, I don't want, I don't want to, I'm not going to take commission from people. I'm never going to miss a payroll. Uh, I'm not going to make it about me. I'm not going to make it about where I used to work. Um, you know, it's like, so I just kind of, that's, yeah. So we started all that stuff just started to come to a point. And then we started to notice that just they really needed this like ongoing visibility, this ongoing detection capability. But if we go back to where we were then, you had really one main sim, ArcSight, Q1 Labs, which is now IBM QRadar, was gaining traction. A ton of people used this kind of open source wonky alien vault that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and then you had a bunch of fringe little players out there, right? And, um, you could just see how fragmented it was. And so we didn't want to just do one thing and we knew that we wouldn't survive if we tried to be a master in all things. So we just started to take this logic of this detection is the most important part. Why don't we think about what we're detecting for and the outcome we're trying to get to, and then we'll force those technologies to fit what we're trying to detect for. And so, I mean, that's back in 2013. Now yeah. we're in early 2014. It's the same thing we do today. And the difference is back then, security is just much smaller. There's a, a smaller set of products. Your data was all on-prem. It was all in one place. Um, and so the willingness of the customer to try new things was a lot more narrow and the capability of the technology um, was a lot more narrow. And so we've always thought this way Uh, We just needed to keep pushing the limits every time the data moved, we got to kind of show how our approach is different every time the data moved. And we watched a lot of people that were much bigger than us, man. I can remember going HP bought ArcSight and I sat at a table with a guy that owned an MSSP that all he did was manage ArcSight. And he was talking in the third person and just being really shitty to us uh, in front of all the HP people. And, I just, you know, listened and nod and that's really amazing. It's a great company. And, um, he's, you know, I I think they're still in business today, but they've been fledgling for a long time and we're a hundred times their size. And so, um, it just goes to show when you're starting up, um, it's not about where you are. It's about, you know, where you end up and where you're going. Um, you can't, they have that, that saying that, you know, comparisons, the enemy of joy, right. You just got to run your own race.